Grace and peace to you from God our Father and our Savior Jesus Christ. Dear Christian friends, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Maybe you said those words when you were a kid. Somebody was picking on you, somebody teased you, somebody insulted you, and you said, oh yeah, well, sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me. But hopefully now you know the truth of that statement, right? Because the truth is, well, words actually can do way more damage than sticks or stones ever could. And there's a reason for that. It's actually our our first takeaway this morning. It's that words are powerful. We know that's true. Think of the emancipation proclamation. Abraham Lincoln spoke the words of the Emancipation Proclamation. They became law in our country. And with those words, three and a half million slaves, their legal status became free. Or think of the words that Franklin Delano Roosevelt spoke on December 8th, 1941, as he addressed Congress And he spoke of a day that will live in infamy and requested a declaration of war. Or think of the words of Martin Luther King. As he said, I have a dream. And he lit the fire of the the civil rights movement to end segregation in our country. All of those events, all of those words were spoken 50 or many more years ago, and yet Probably all of them we've heard, right? Those phrases, we know what they come from and and we know what they mean because they have an impact on our world because words are powerful. But words aren't just powerful like out there in the world, like in the big picture of things. Words are powerful on a, a very personal level as well. Think of some of the, the significant words in your life. Maybe the first time that, that your loved one said, I love you. <gasps> Peter patter went the heart, right? It's a big step in a relationship. Or maybe not so long ago when one of your kids said that. Or maybe think of the, the words that you, you spoke to your spouse as you stood together and you committed yourself to a lifetime together by saying two little words, I do. Or maybe those significant words are words that you hoped you'd never hear. I want a divorce. Never really loved you. Ouch. Maybe those words are, are words that were an oath. Maybe a, the oath of military service as you promised to to protect and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic. And that began a a military service, maybe even a military career. Maybe there are words that your boss spoke in front of the team, words of praise in front of the whole company. Wow, and that that really changed your, your feeling about the company, really changed the trajectory of your job, of your career. 
Maybe it was words that your boss spoke when he called you into his office and said, we're going in another direction. Your services are no longer needed here. I'm guessing that right now, you probably got a little bit of an internal, internal playback going of some of the, the most significant words in your life, right? Because words are powerful. They can be used for good, and they can be used for evil. Words can, words can start wars between countries. They can start wars between neighbors and friends and even family. Words can, can set free, like the Emancipation Proclamation, or they can set free from guilt and fear and insecurity because words are powerful. But up until this point, really we've been talking about how you and I, we use our words to impact other people and how their words impact us. And while that certainly is important and definitely a reason to tame our tongue, God wants us to understand there's another aspect to our words that we sometimes forget about. We just think of how that's going to affect somebody else or what that's going to mean in the big picture. But God wants us to understand something very clearly. It's our second takeaway this morning that my words impact my life. Now, that may sound obvious, but what God wants us to understand is that when I say something, it commits me to a course of, of action, a course of direction, and it impacts the quality of my life. God knows this because God is the one who, who made it that way. And he shows us that in our, our reading this morning, our Bible reading from 1 Peter chapter 3. It begins at verse 8. We read, Finally, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing. Because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. Now these words came from God through his messenger, a man named Peter, and they were two Christians, to people who knew and trusted that Jesus was their Savior. And that's significant because with the Holy Spirit living in us by faith, we want to live for God. Our, our, our motivation is to live for God. And, and these words help us understand how God wants us to do that. Now, admittedly, these words are not just focused on our words, on what we say. They're really on attitudes of the heart. But, but I think as we see both in the application of them and then the last verse where God talks about specifically about how our words impact the quality of our life, God ties them to what we say. And that makes sense because, well, our attitudes, what we think in our hearts and in our minds, we show that in what we say, don't we? For example, if someone is not like-minded, well, they're contrarian. They're probably argumentative, right? They're, they're poking and prodding at everybody else in the group because they just aren't pulling in the same direction. They just don't have the same goals, the same plans. Or if someone is not sympathetic or compassionate, well, 
Well, they have no problem telling you about their problems. But when it comes time to listening to you, they're not really interested. Or someone who isn't humble, well, it's not hard to find, to find that out real quickly, right? As, as arrogant words flow out of their mouth and you realize, oh, there's, that's arrogant, that's not humble at all. But God doesn't want us to, to just like have those qualities in our heart, those attitudes in our heart, but we, we bite off our words so that we don't make them known. No, God wants us to change our hearts, to change the attitude inside so that the words that come out reflect the goodness inside, the peace and the, the love of God. That's why he goes on to say some really important and difficult words. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. And here's where it gets real, isn't it? Because what happens when somebody gets in your face, gets ticked off, and calls you a jerk? Oh, okay. No. I don't think there's anybody in here who has that natural reaction, do they? Because we all have this part of us that, that's sinful and that hears being insulted and hears being hurt. And what happens? We want to hurt back. We want to insult right back. But, but we never do it on like an equal level. If on a scale of one to ten, you insult me at a two, I want to insult you at a two and a half or a three. If you hurt me at a four, I want to hurt you at a five. Right? We always got to take it up a notch. So somebody calls you a jerk. Oh, yeah? Well, you're an even bigger jerk. And what happens then? Oh, yeah? Oh, yeah? Oh, yeah? And back and forth, hurt and hurt and hurt, insult, insult, insult. And it gets pretty ugly, doesn't it? The problem is we think that when somebody insults us, when somebody hurts us, that gives us an excuse. It gives us justification even to punish them. That we have a just cause. They hurt me, so I am I'm perfectly excused. I'm perfectly justified in hurting them back. And so we unleash our weapon, our tongue. We lash out. We insult back. We hurt back. We call names or we wait until they leave the room and then we talk about them behind their back and we spill all the nasty stuff we can think about. And we think, that's okay, because they hurt me first. They insulted me first. But the problem is, that's not what God says, is it? God says, uh, no, you don't. Just because someone calls you a jerk face doesn't mean you get to call them a jerk face back. Just because someone gossips about you, you don't get to gossip about them. God wants us to break that cycle because, well, because we're Christians, because we're his people, because we're his children. He wants us to live differently, and so he wants us to use our words differently. The problem is our, our natural temptation, our natural inclination is, well, it's our, our third takeaway, that when I'm hurt or insulted, I'm tempted to hurt or insult right back. But God wants us to tame our tongues, to get our words under control. That's why he says, when somebody, when somebody rips you, when somebody 
insults you, when somebody hurts you, don't repay evil with evil. Instead, look what he said. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing. Now, it's important to understand that word blessing. It's used a lot in the Bible, right? The word bless, it's used a lot in the, in the South as well, right? Have a blessed day. And usually when the word is used in the Bible, when people use that term, the word bless in the Bible often means happy. For example, when Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, the word that's used, the Greek word that's used there is the word for happy. He's saying that when this is the attitude of your heart, you'll actually be, life may not be easy, but you'll be happy. That's not the word that's used here, though. Instead, what God says is a word that actually we probably all know. It's the word eulogy. When do you hear someone speak a eulogy? At someone's funeral service, probably. But, but what are they saying? They're saying literally a eulogy is a good word. What God is saying is that when somebody hurts you, when somebody insults you, when somebody says something terrible about you, don't take the opportunity to hurt or insult or say something terrible back. Instead, speak a good word. Now you might be wondering, what good word could I possibly say? After somebody's just insulted me to my face, after somebody's just said something that, that was hurtful and mean and rotten, Understand, God is not saying, when he says, say a good word, he's not saying, say something that's like trite. Somebody calls you a jerk and you go, oh, well, I really like your glasses. That's not what he's talking about. He's not trying to get you to, to give somebody some kind of random, insignificant compliment. He's trying to get you to say something that is a truly beneficial, good word. Like, what if you said the best good word that you could possibly ever say. The best blessing that can ever come from your lips, especially after someone's insulted you, hurt you, and you say, I forgive you. See, God wants us to understand that when we do something like that, when we speak a word of blessing, not only are we, are we doing something for someone else, think of what that does for your life. Because what happens when you don't? When somebody insults you and you insult back, when somebody hurts you and you hurt back, and then they do it back, and then you do it back, and then we keep like one-upping each other until finally someone says something that is so horrible, so egregious, that we all break down and walk away. How does that leave you feeling? Guilt? Anger, shame, regret, replaying words that, man, why did I say that? I wish I could take those words back. But you can't. What if instead you could spare yourself that guilt, that shame, that regret, that hurt? When somebody insults you and you whew, break the cycle and you say, you know what? That really hurt. We don't have to pretend like it didn't. We don't have to pretend like their words didn't hurt. They did. That was, 
that was a pretty rotten thing to say, but I want you to know that I forgive you. Not only do you, do you give them something to think about, but you break the cycle and you don't leave yourself with a bunch of, of regret and guilt and shame for, man, what I said, and now that relationship is, is probably broken without the ability to repair it. God wants us to think in terms of breaking the cycle of insult and, forgive, and hurt with a good word, a word of blessing, a word of, of peace, a word of forgiveness, which sounds like a really tall task, doesn't it? And it is. Totally admit it. It is not easy when someone insults you because our, our sinful nature, that part of us that, that by nature opposed to God, boy, we want to just right back in their face. We want to zing them like they zinged us. And I'll tell you what, without Jesus, it, it, it's impossible pretty much. But it's not impossible for you. And the reason is because of Jesus. See, if you've ever read through the gospel accounts, right, the, the life of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, those are just amazing. Not only did Jesus go around and perform miracles that, that just are mind-boggling, not only did he teach with the perfect wisdom of God himself, but Jesus was never, ever careless with his words. Think about that. He never misspoke when he was teaching. He never had to go back and, and clarify something he said because he didn't say it well or right or correctly. When his opponents who didn't believe in him, who, who rejected him, who wanted to, to trip him up, to trap him, when they came with, to him with their traps, right, their logical traps, logical arguments, and tried to, hey, which commandment is the greatest? Figuring he's going to pick one, and then, ha, 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 we got him. He didn't go, oh, you guys are so stupid. Instead, he answered them perfectly. He didn't taunt them or mock them as he answered them in ways that stunned them and left them marveling and almost stumped. He didn't go, man, come back when you got something better. Jesus always spoke perfect words, even when, even when people came to him and accused him of being possessed by a demon. I mean, think about that. Somebody accused God himself of being in league and being on the team of his mortal, of his eternal enemy, the devil. And Jesus didn't say, oh, you guys are awful. I'm done with all of you. Instead, he calmly and, and reasonably and perfectly pointed them back to the God who loves them and saved them. And then came his arrest and the trial that followed. And if you've read that section, you know that, that they couldn't find an accusation that stuck, right? Because they were all lies. And they were bringing in these witnesses that were just lying. It was all false testimonies, all perjury. And Jesus like, never said, this is lies, this is nothing. He didn't stand up and he didn't defend himself at all. Do you know what Jesus said? nothing. He was silent. And when they mocked him, and they beat him, and when they taunted him and laughed at him, and they whipped him mercilessly, we wouldn't have been surprised if he'd called down curses, and not just like four-letter bombs, 
but literally called on God to send them to hell right then and there. After all, they were mercilessly beating the only innocent person who'd ever lived. He would have been justified, perfectly righteous in doing so, a righteous punishment, and yet he didn't. He didn't taunt them and go, oh yeah, I'm going to die and I'm going to rise, but you're going to hell. Nope, didn't do that either. In fact, he was silent. Do you know why he was silent? He was silent so that he could save us. You, me, every other person who's ever lived from all of the times when we have misused our words. From all of the times when we have abused God in his name, all of the times that we've gossiped, all of the times that we've spoken outright lies or just kind of half-truths, all the times when we've manipulated, when we've insulted, all of the times that we have misused and abused our words against God or against other people. And what's amazing is that Jesus was silent so he could save us because that's exactly what God had said he would do. See, more than 600 years before Jesus ever lived, God said through his prophet Isaiah, he was telling what the Savior was going to do. He was going to suffer for us. He was going to die for our sins. And in the midst of that section from Isaiah chapter 53, he says these words. He, Jesus, the Savior, was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. As Jesus was mocked and abused and brutalized and tortured, he didn't utter a curse. He didn't call out for mercy. He took it so that he could fulfill God's word and save us. And then when he did speak, after they pounded those nails through his hands and his feet and hung him up on that cross, do you know the words he spoke? Father, forgive them. He didn't repay evil with evil, but he repaid evil with a blessing, with a good word, with forgiveness. And then as he hung on that cross and he suffered the wrath of God for our sins and our failures and our hateful and hurtful words, he spoke the best words that have ever been spoken on earth. Words that changed eternity. He said, it is finished. Because with those words he announced that the payment for sin, all sin, was complete. See, Jesus didn't just repay evil with a blessing as, a, as an example to follow. In fact, that wasn't even a part of the purpose at all. Jesus repaid evil with a blessing to save you, to save me, to make the payment for sin, give us forgiveness, and give us eternity with him so that all who trust in him, well, we have life. And understand then, because of that, well, this is what Jesus, God's talking about in 1 Peter 3. He says, because of that, you were called. To this you were called. 
so that you may inherit a blessing. That's the blessing that you, as a child of God, who've been called out of the darkness of sin and into his wonderful light, who've been washed and made his own in the waters of baptism, you've been called to be a part of God's family, to know and to live differently, to use your words to praise and glorify God. You've got a blessing in your life. You have forgiveness and salvation. And God says, because of that, because you have peace, because you have forgiveness, because you have joy, fill up with that. Let that be what's in your heart and on your mind so that when you open your mouth, guess what comes out? Peace, joy, forgiveness, and praise to God. Because without that, it's impossible to. And yet, our fourth takeaway reminds us that I'm able to speak words of forgiveness because Jesus has forgiven me. See, that's why God wants us to be here, to sing his praises, to fill up with the goodness of what he's done for us, to know his glory, his love, his forgiveness. Because it changes our hearts. And when it changes our hearts, it changes our words. But God doesn't want your words to just change today like in the 15 minutes after church and then we get back into the, the old way of things. God says, no, you've been called to this. This is who you are. You still have a part of you that's going to struggle, that's going to want to repay evil, that's going to want to repay insult. But don't. Tame your tongue. Watch your words because you're a child of God who's been forgiven of everything who's been forgiven of all the times you've, you've been careless with your words, that every time you've said something hurtful and hateful, every time you've done something foolish, you're forgiven. And with the, that, the beauty of that forgiveness overflowing in your heart, God says, watch your words. Tame your tongue. So let's get serious. And let's do that. Let's, let's tame our tongue. Let's fill up in the goodness of God every day, so that what comes out of our mouth are words of praise and peace and joy and forgiveness, so that others might know the goodness of our God, because we've been called to do that. Amen.